Kilo Rasamrita Murti. Rasamrita. Murti, form. That supreme rasa, that supreme taste of spiritual enjoyment. Amrita is like a nectar, drink. A very sweet uh, elixir, uh, something that uh, well, the demigods their their amrita is as a nectar that actually gives them immortal life compared to our life. In the Bhagavatam, it says immortal, but immortal in comparison with the living entities that are in lower planes of existence. Demigods live for a considerable amount of time. Uh, Do we know what's in these elixirs? <laughs> you can go to the heavenly planets and, and find out for yourself. Obviously you can't go down to the local ABC store and buy it. No, no. No, it's not, it's not that readily available. <laughs> Uh, Probably go into the mountains and find it. <laughs> there is a story in the Bhagavatam about a churning of the ocean uh, in order to come up with this uh, elixir. Uh, they made a drink of immortality. And uh, it's a very interesting story. Uh, actually, Krishna took the form of a woman in order to pull off a trick whereby the demigods would be able to get the drops of uh, this immortal drink and the demons would not gain access. They became so bewildered by this beautiful form of the Lord, this female form, that whatever Krishna told them to do, they did. So when Krishna said, Give, let, let the demigods have the first drinks, it's okay. They said, okay. You know, how the mind of a, of a man can be captured by the beautiful form of a woman. And, oh, yes, whatever you want. You know. So it's a very interesting story from the Bhagavat. Rasamrita Murti. It's hard to conceive of that form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But we're given some indications. Bhagavatam gives us some indications. We find again and again descriptions of Krishna's transcendental form, his various forms. Chintamani prakarasadmasu, kalpavaksha. Not only his form, but that transcendental abode where he resides. Uh, his threefold bending form holding a flute. This form of the original personality of Godhead, this the Lord is unlimited. He has unlimited forms. He manifests differently according to the way that he is worshipped. As we know, and especially from reading Pujapad Sridhar's little booklets, he keeps talking about the Krishna conception. So there are many conceptions of God but this particular conception 
according to our Gaudiya tradition, is the highest conception that has been presented by thorough analysis of the scriptures, of the Vedas. So many forms of God are there, and there are so many worshippers of the Vishnu forms, the, the Purusha avatars, those forms of the Lord that are in charge of manifesting the material world. The conception of Narayan and Vaikuntha, who is, has the concert Lakshmi, is there and worshipped in, in other tr- Sampradayas, which are all Vaishnav Sampradayas. But this specific conception, this Krishna conception, this conception of, of, the, of the Supreme Lord uh, uh, residing in, in, in his own playground of Raj, uh, this, is, this conception is what has been given us by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and... Uh, and specifically the Goswamis. So, you'll hear discussion and, and of the fact that actually all the various Sampradayas, they, came, they, they more or less came together under the toolage of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and that there was uh, an amalgamation of this of this is the highest concept. But we find even in the life of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he was so broad in his presentation that even some of his direct disciples, his direct followers, when they heard from him of this Krishna conception they had already fallen in love or they already had another form of the Lord which was in their heart and which attracted them like Lord Rama. And even though they would try to come to this conception, this Krishna conception, uh, they couldn't do it. They'd already fallen in love with the Supreme in a different form. These are all very esoteric understandings, but as followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu coming in the Gaudiya Vaishnav lineage, we are directed to concentrate on Krishna. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam the supreme original form of the Lord as he manifests himself in Goloka, as he sports with the Gopas and the Gopis. That form of the Lord who is the son of Mother Yasoda and Nanda Maharaj. And as we progress in our spiritual life, our relationship with that supreme personality of Godhead will be revealed to us and this revelation will come about by our sincere chanting sincere attentive and serious chanting of the Maha Mantra will reveal everything to us 
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. This chanting will reveal our most lovable form of the Lord in our heart. Bhagavad Gita, we're going to conclude uh, the fourth chapter this evening and we're going to do a little bit of a review of the whole chapter and exactly what's what's there. Uh, we're going to chant the uh, next to the last verse in the chapter. Yoga sanyasta karmanam jnana sanchina samsayam anmavantam nakarmani nabadnanti dananjaya One who acts in devotional service renouncing the fruits of his action whose, whose doubts have been destroyed by transcendental knowledge is situated factually in the self Thus he is not bound by the reactions of work or conqueror of riches. Therefore the doubts which have arisen in your heart out of ignorance should be slashed by the weapon of knowledge. Armed with yoga, O Bart, stand and fight. Omajana Trimanandasya, Jnajana Salakaya, Chakshurun Melikanyena Tasma, Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So this, no, this particular chapter of Bhagavad Gita is called Transcendental Knowledge. Hmm. And what brought us to this chapter? What was at the end of the third chapter? An explanation of what is our shortcoming in this material atmosphere. Our primary obstacle that thing which gets in the way of self-realization that interferes with our attaining the true goal of this human form of life. And that thing is lust. So at the end of the third chapter, there's discussion of lust and how it is truly the enemy of our of whatever endeavor we may have to better ourselves to become aware of our higher goal of our true home of our true nature of our spiritual being so the fourth chapter in the fourth chapter if we look at the chapter as a whole what we see is Krishna is presenting systematically an explanation of the system of acquiring transcendental knowledge and purifying oneself of the influence of lust, the tendency to exploit this world for sensual enjoyment. Now we have a body, we have senses, and there's no question of not satisfying the senses. But the whole system of yoga, as outlined in the fourth chapter, as we've got this preliminary outline here of, of transcendental knowledge and of sacrifice and of the system of knowledge which the Lord himself has arranged for in the material world, 
is to simply give us a facility, a method whereby we can not be controlled by lust. Does that mean we don't enjoy our senses in the material world? There's no question of not enjoying the senses in the material world. Without enjoyment of the senses, without satisfaction of the senses, the body will not exist. It has to be fed. That means the tongue has to taste. It has to be cleaned. It has to be nourished in so many ways. It needs bodily affection. So these things are there. But in this chapter, we're given indication as to how to conduct our affairs within this world and not be controlled by lust. What is lust? Lust is when the material senses dictate. And the purpose of this human form of life is to dictate to the senses. Don't let the senses dictate to us. Well, how do we dictate to the senses? This whole fourth chapter sets up preliminary understanding of that knowledge. So where's Krishna begin in this chapter? He begins by explaining that this transcendental knowledge, and that's a specific characteristic of this knowledge, it's transcendental. It's coming directly from the Lord himself. And that's the first thing he says in this chapter, isn't it? First thing. I instructed. I instructed. What I? This is not just any I. This is not you or me I. This is Krishna's I. I, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, instructed this imperishable science to the sun god Vivashwan and Vivashwan instructed it to Manu and Manu, the father of mankind, instructed it to Isvaku. One after another in a chain, teacher, disciple. Disciple becomes teacher, has a disciple. The knowledge is passed down from limb to limb. Often the analogy is there of a, of a of a ripened fruit, and it is passed down, and it becomes sweeter in the passing down. This knowledge is not just any knowledge. This knowledge is coming from Krishna, and it's coming from Him perfectly. But what happens? What happens when this knowledge, this perfect knowledge, is delivered to us in this realm of his temporary nature, his material energy. It becomes diluted. Ah, it becomes diluted. It becomes, what's he say? How's Krishna word it? This very ancient, ancient science of the relationship with the Supreme is today told by, because you're my dear friend, you have a qualification. And then he explains how the knowledge over time loses loses something. That's our nature. That's the nature of this material world. Everything here is temporary. And even you take perfect transcendental knowledge 
and you place it in this atmosphere, unless there's pure guidance, unless there's purity of practice, the knowledge becomes distorted. So what? Krishna has to come again and again and again. He comes to make sure that we are given the advantage of this pure, unadulterated, transcendental knowledge so that lust does not keep us entangled in this material atmosphere. Yada yadahi dharmasya, in the seventh verse. Yada yadahi dharmasya. Glanir bhavati bharata, bhutanama dharmasya tadatmanam sri jamyaham. Whenever and wherever there is a decline in religious practice, O descendant of Bart, and a predominant rise of irreligion, at that time I descend myself. It's not like God just said, here's, here's the world, go and, you know, eat the fruits off the tree. What is their conception in the, in the uh, Christian? The conception of Adam and Eve. Here's your Garden of Eden. Enjoy. Enjoy, but there, the, the enjoyment is there. As I said, there's not a day that we can exist without taking some fruits from the tree of this material world. The body would not be able, we could not sustain the body without taking advantage. But we, we have to be the one that is controlling the situation. This knowledge, what, what does Krishna give us when he starts explaining this knowledge? He explains it in relationship to the understanding of our true position in and of itself is sufficient for our advancement. It also requires what? There's a whole series of verses. First of all, he explains in the 10th verse, being free from attachment, fear, and anger, being fully absorbed in me and taking refuge in me, many, many persons in the past became purified by knowledge of me, unless they all attain transcendental love for me. But there's a qualification in the next verse, isn't there? Ye yatamam papajante. Tamas tataiva bajam yaham, mama vartmanu vartante, manusha partha sarvasa. As we surrender to this transcendental knowledge, Krishna reciprocates accordingly. According to the way we are desiring. To enter into spiritual knowledge, then Krishna is facilitating. Later in Bhagavad Gita, he, he makes it more clear and explains exactly how he's doing that, doesn't he? Sarvasya chaham hridi sani visto matash mritir janama pohanam cha. Vedas chistisavam aham eva vedyo vedanta krid veda eva chaham. Sarvasya chaham hridi sani visto. I am seated in your heart. Being seated in your heart 
I am giving you knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. How? As you are surrendering to me, I'm giving you knowledge. So there's some responsibility. We have some responsibility in the matter. Surrender. Then Krishna goes on after these verses and what? He explains how different seekers perform their activities in the material world directed by good teachers to perform what? Sacrifice. How do they perform their sacrifices? In a myriad of ways. There's so many different yogis. But what is the point of the sacrifice? All these sacrifices are meant to what? Curb lust. Curb lust. So how many verses are there explaining all the different sacrifices and all the different ways that people engage in sacrifice? First he explains actions. And he explains it's very hard to understand what is, what is proper action in this material world. When we get into those sections of verses all the way through verse 18, Krishna dwells on exactly what is act, action and what is action which is not going to bind us. What is knowledge which is, what is action which is performed in knowledge? Not action which is dictated by the senses. And then there's this verse 18. One who sees action and inaction and action and action and inaction is intelligent among men. A little bit of a riddle. One who sees inaction and action and action and inaction is intelligent among men. And he is in a transcendental position, although engaged in all sorts of activities. Wow, what a dilemma. Okay, we're, we want to control lust because lust is our enemy. Lust is what is, is tying us down uh, from attaining our, our true spiritual goal. And we have to perform activities because there's no way we can survive in this world without performing some action. So this verse... One who sees inaction and action and action and action and inaction is intelligent among men. What does it mean? It means that one who can understand that our activities in this world have to be done for the pleasure of the Supreme and not for our personal pleasure, he can perform any action. He's not bound by action. But if the actions we perform in this material world, we perform them for our pleasure, then the ropes come out. And material nature binds us to our activities. If we know and perform all our activities for the pleasure of the Supreme, we can do anything. But any activity we do for the pleasure of our senses binds us to this world in lust. So it all comes down to what? Controlling 
the senses in such a way that our activities are not dictated by sense gratification. And then Krishna goes forward from here and what? Gives us some examples of how different people have done this. Some yogis perfectly worship the demigods by offering different sacrifices to them. And some offer sacrifices in the fire of the supreme Brahman. Some, the adulterated brahmacharis, sacrifice the hearing process and the senses in the fire of mental control. And others, the regulated householders, sacrifice the objects of the senses in the fire of the senses. They engage in life. In the fire of the senses, they engage. The brahmacharis, they're making spiritual advancement. The householders, they're making a spiritual advancement. Both are making spiritual advancement. Why? Because they have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of how to control the senses. The control for a householder is different than the control for a brahmachari or a sannyasi. But the result of both of their controls are what? Spiritual advancement. Both are advancing. Some are worshipping the demigods. Knowing what? If they are in knowledge and know that the demigods are working, ultimately under the direction of Krishna and are simply his universal administrators, their worship of the demigods is not binding. Others, they may worship the demigods. But if their knowledge and their intent is to satisfy the material senses by such worship, let me worship to get myself a good son. Let me worship a particular demigod to get myself a good wife or a good husband. Let me worship Ganesh to get all opulence or Lakshmi. The worship of the demigods is there in the right way and the wrong way. All of these different sacrifices can be done either for Krishna's pleasure or they can be done for our pleasure. The activity is the same. Action in action, inaction in action, they look the same. The intent may be different. Sankalpa is the most important thing then. What is our intent? What is the intent of our activity? What is the intent of our, intent of our Krishna conscious activity? We'll discuss that in a minute. That's also important. Others who are interested in achieving self-realization through control of the mind of the senses offer the functions of all the senses and of the life breath as oblations into the fire of the controlled mind. Having accepted strict vows, some become enlightened by sacrificing their possessions and others by performing severe austerities, by practicing the yoga of eightfold mysticism, or by studying the Vedas to advance in transcendental knowledge. 
Still others who are inclined to the process of breath restraint control the inner breath, going into the outer breath, they get into trance. What is the goal of all these different sacrifices? Why is Krishna pointing these out? What is he, what, what is he trying to get across to Arjuna here? It is not so much the sacrifice that we engage in All these things are good for one's spiritual advancement. Now, he is going to discriminate a little later in the chapter. He's going to let it come to a a head that centers around loving him. Of all sacrifice, this love, this bhakti, this falling in love with the Supreme, that is going to give us the greatest benefit. But before we can come to this platform of pure love, what has to be removed? Lust. Here we are back at lust again. All these different sacrifices, what? They control the mind. They control the senses. They control the the charity that we give. They control, they control, they control. What are they controlling? They're controlling us. They're meant to control us from letting the senses get the best of us. That it does not matter what the sacrifice is as much as it matters what the intent of the activity is. That's what's really important. We don't judge what a particular Vaishnav, specifically the devotee, whatever his station in life, If he's working to please Krishna, he's worshipable by me. Whether he be a sannyasi or a householder, a pot washer or a pajari. Pajari's serving directly the form of Krishna. The pot washer's washing is serving the pots that prepare the food to feed to Krishna. Well, both Krishna and his devotees. So all these different examples of different types of sacrifices are there. But it's important that we not become bewildered by all these verses. It's important that we see what Krishna is getting across to Arjuna by giving all these examples of different practitioners of various types of sacrifice according to various stations they have in life. Because what's he do? He goes on to point out the Varnashram system. Whereby people can work in the world according to their nature. And be, perform the highest sacrifice. And everybody in such a society ultimately comes to the platform of spiritual realization. Then we come to the core verses, the center of this chapter. And in the center, in this core section, what does Krishna point out to Arjuna? If you want to know how to properly perform some sacrifice for your well-being, you have to do one thing. You have to seek out what? Who knows what? 
your nature. Who knows what your situation is? Who knows what the situation of the environment is? Who can look on this society or in this group, in this tradition, at this time, for these people who have this propensity? So many things are there. What's the spiritual master's position in all this? What's he enlighten us to? What is he actually doing? The truth. He's giving us what? The sacrifice that does what? That, that is properly tailored to our situation. According to what? Time, place, circumstance. That's what the spiritual master's position is. He's Krishna's external manifestation. What's he doing? He is tailoring the sacrifice that we perform in order that we make spiritual advancement according to our circumstance. Therefore, we have to find such a bona fide spiritual master. Tadvidi pranipate na pari prashne na sevaya. Upadekshanti te jnanam jnaninas tatvadarsina. What are his qualifications? And what are our qualifications? We concentrated on these things. What are our qualifications and what are his qualifications? What are our qualifications? We have to know what we want. We have to approach with an objective which is properly situated. We have to approach with a little bit of humility. And we have to what? We have to inquire. We have to inquire according to our position. We notice sometimes we'll go to a class. It was interesting when we were at uh, Adarya for the festival. There was one very new student of Bhakti Yoga. And most everyone there was uh, already initiated disciple. Those that weren't got initiated during the festival. (laughs) But there was one new student there and sometimes, and that, actually there were two. There was a young man and, and a young lady. And from time to time, they'd pose their questions. And their questions seemed so elemental. Oh, you don't under What? Come on. We're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about getting into your, your spiritual relationship with Krishna and listen to what the class is about. And, all the, and they're there. Uh, what does God want me to do? Yeah, that was the question. Exactly the question. She has such a better memory than I do. That was the only question asked that night. Was it? No, I'm just asking. It might have been. It might have been. And the spiritual master at this meeting took a half an hour answering it. All the rest of us were, wow, 
This is such an element, at least me. I don't know about the rest. I just can speak for myself, so I'm sorry about that. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, such a simple question. And then such an elegant answer. And you learn something new. I learned what is God and what does he want me to do. I didn't know. Now I knew. I never had the intelligence to ask such a simple question, such a straightforward question. So what was the answer? You have to listen to the, his class. So this is, this is what the bona fide spiritual master does. Will he provoke us sometimes? He provokes us to think. Well, to do something that we don't want to do? Let us hope so. <laughs> Let us hope. The problem is we don't want to get the hell out of here. We want to stay in this place of misery because we think it is a place of pleasure and comfort. Right. I'll give you an interesting story that's, that's uh, relayed in the Bhagavad Indra is the king of heaven. Okay. And Indra, he's like got the, he's got the real cushy job. He keeps all the other demigods in order. I mean, he's, come on, he lives in, in the most beautiful palaces. He, he has the most beautiful maidservants. He's the king of heaven. Well, sometime, and understand it's a post. It's like we elect a president. Well, according to the qualification of a living entity, a living, any living entity can become qualified and become the king of heaven. You could become the king of heaven. Any of you. You can do this if you the want benefits, it. The if you, there's nice benefits. <laughs> but there's some drawbacks too. Yeah, so anyway, somehow or other, a particular Indra, as I said, it's a post. It would be like the president. We have a President Obama or we used to have a President Kennedy. and So many presidents is there. So this one Indra... He offended a great sage, but he offended a sage, and the sage cursed him. He said, you're not fit to be an Indra. You've mistreated me. I'm a sage. Better you be a hog. (laughs) You never want to offend these sages because they have a lot of power. And guess what happened to Indra? Yep. And he became very content in his pig pen with his pig, his pig wife and his little piglets. And he became very happy. It's like, wow, this is the life of Riley. This is great. I've got no problem with this. I believe it was Brahma that came and said, okay, you've, you've been cursed. Let's... Let's get you. Let's get you straightened out and get you back in back in your position in heaven. Indra's like, what? I'm fine right here. I'm fine right. I like to eat the stool that they, you know, that the other pigs leave for me. That's what pigs do. If you go to India, you get to see it firsthand. In this culture, you don't get to see that. <clears throat> Disgusting edibles. Disgusting environment. So have you ever been around a pig pen? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, the king of heaven is in his pig pen, and what is he saying? 
I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. I don't want to. Who's the king of heaven? I don't even know who that is. I'm happy right here. Do we want the spiritual master to confound us with our true situation when he says you're suffering in this material world and we say, no, I'm happy. I have my wife. I have my kids. I have my job. I also have my mortgage. My body's getting old. I'm going to die. I don't know what my next body's going to be. But I forget about all those things. Why? Because I'm, I'm as happy as a pig in stool. When the spiritual master enlightens us to the position that we're in, that's a good thing. When the spiritual master says that we need to clean our brains, we, we might want to listen to him. He may give us knowledge that will be beneficial for us. How does he give that knowledge? He gives it according to our qualification. Why? Because he's Krishna's external manifestation. So therefore that verse applies to the spiritual master that Krishna said earlier in the chapter. Right? All of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. But there is a special characteristic of the bona fide spiritual master. He's more merciful than Krishna. Krishna says, as you surrender unto me, the spiritual master shakes us and says, wake the hell up and surrender. Krishna will say, according to your qualification, as you surrender to me, if you come forward, I will take care of you. The spiritual master comes and tries to drag us out of our pig pen. He tries to wake us up even when we don't want to be woken up. He's so merciful. He's so kind. What a, what a, what a blessing to come into contact with the bona fide spiritual master. What a blessing to be woken up, to be shaken up, to have all of what we think is the right thing for us exposed for the wrong that it really is. So all these different sacrifices are there, and then Krishna introduces in this chapter the concept of the bona fide spiritual master. Why? Because we will become confused if we try to determine which is the right sacrifice. We need guidance. We need good guidance. According to our situation, our environment, our culture, so many things are there and so many things are adjusted by the spiritual master in order to present us with the proper sacrifice for our spiritual upliftment. With the proper sacrifice that we can take in order to what? Control our lust. Why do we want to control lust? Because it's in direct opposition to love. And what does love give us? Rasamrita Murti. Amrita. It gives us a taste of real pleasure. What's lust give us? A taste of bondage. It binds us to this place of action and reaction. It binds us through the laws of karma. Krishna is willing to wipe all the karma away. How does he do that? He sends the bona fide spiritual master. 
What happens when we approach Him humbly with good inquiry and willing to offer some simple service? He not only gives us knowledge, but what does He do with all the accumulated reactions to our lust? They're gone. Wow, what a blessing. At the time of initiation, the spiritual master takes all of that bad, lustful reaction and he cleans the slate. Now you begin your spiritual life. Now. Give you some practice. You, you maintain this regulation. You take seriously to this chanting. Avoid these things. Take on these things. He makes adjustments. What's best for one may not be best for another. What's good for the brahmachari may not be good for the householder. What's good for the man may not be good for the woman. What's good for this culture may not be good for that culture. But he makes those adjustments. That's the bona fide spiritual master. And then, after we come into contact with the bona fide spiritual master, the next five verses what? They explain what is the benediction of such a meeting. Having obtained real knowledge from a self-realized soul, you will never fall again into such illusion. For by this knowledge, you will see that all living entities are but parts of the Supreme, or in other words, that they are mine. Which means we are mine. We are also Krishnas. Wait a minute. I know some devotees that I, in fact, myself in this very life, I can see times where I thought I fell again. What does that mean? You will never fall again into such illusion. It's a gradual process. The spiritual master gives us a program for self-purification. And what's this material nature always doing? It's always testing. How sincere are you? And that's what I'd like to close with tonight. I said we need to come to an understanding that even in our devotional practice, real discrimination has to be there on our part. We have to be fixed on attaining that supreme destination. Even though it seems completely out of reach, Beyond our wildest imagination how I can become pure enough to be free of all the lust that I see in my heart day in and day out. Of all the propensities I have to enjoy at every stage. Of all the reluctance I have in following the simple good guidance of my spiritual preceptor. That's why good association is so very important. We have to keep ourselves in good association to reinforce this transcendental knowledge. If we leave and go away from the good association, if we stop hearing from the bona fide spiritual master, if we neglect those simple instructions, and believe me, they're simple in comparison with so many other forms, rigorous forms of yoga 
and self-purification. This Bhakti Yoga is a very simple program. But we cannot be crooked. We have to straighten our heart out. Even though we may be crooked, even though we may have so many crooked desires in us, in our heart that makes us want to, that gives, makes us reluctant to, to make spiritual progress. We have to somehow or other stay fixed in good association. And the good association and the good direction and the shelter that comes by that association, the shelter that comes at the feet of the bona fide spiritual master, that in and of itself, that shelter will help us in that regard. So even though it seems at times perhaps that it's unattainable, that when I read these verses, when I read about these sacrifices that others have done, that I read how, when I read in inner fulfillment, how when I take the spiritual life, it could be like trying to could reach the heights of the Himalayas. How can I do that? I'm not a mountain climber. But there's an interesting verse. With the bona fide spiritual master, even a lame man can cross mountains. And a blind man can see. Takes firm shelter of the bona fide spiritual master. The firm shelter of all the masters who are the Vaishnav community. And you will be protected at every stage. And your crookedness will be straightened out. Any questions? I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.